As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, parents, it's good to be back with you once again for the Wonder of Parenting podcast. We are so honored uh, to have you joining us for our discussion today. As always, my name is Tim Wright here along with Dr. Michael Gurian. Michael, it's good to have you with us. Good to be here. Hi, everybody. And uh, as we've been saying for several weeks, although we took kind of a three-week break to talk about Michael's new book, The Stone Boys, uh, we get a lot of questions from you, and we really appreciate that. And if you do have a question that you'd like us to address, you can go to wonderofparenting.com, and there's a form that you can use. But because we have so many questions in the queue, uh, we want to try to tackle a couple questions a week for the next few weeks. And uh, today is a good example of, as to why we want to do that, because some of the questions tend to be time-sensitive. And we're already beyond some of the time for some of these. So uh, we're going we're gonna to do a couple questions today. They're related in that they have to do a little bit with school issues. And the first question is going to be about uh, the challenge of getting uh, a teenager to do homework. So I think we'll just dive right into the question here, Michael. And okay. um, uh, it says, do you have any tips for getting a high school boy, 15 to 16 years old, to focus on studying, getting organized prior to exams, and to motivate him to do better at school. Uh, I'm guessing this isn't just an issue for teenage boys, but uh, it is an issue for teenage boys in particular. So let's talk a little bit about um, just some things that come to the top of your mind in terms of how a boy's brain works when it comes to homework, uh, some things that uh, parents can do to encourage him to get his work done. Yeah. Yeah, this is a big question for so many, so many people. I would say millions of families. Um, by the time the guys get to, like this boy is 15, between 15 and 16, they're, this has to be battled on a few fronts. One one front is that by this time, a lot of these boys have been in school systems where where the teachers are, you know, obviously great people, but as we've discussed before, not really trained in how to motivate boys to learn how to how to teach boys, and so there's been a lot of boredom, and um, and boys are kind of already sort of checked out of education; they find it irrelevant, and so they're so that's one piece of the battle that these parents are having um and that's the fix for that is in the in the way boys are taught and obviously that's that's something that parents can't fix but but i'm putting it out there because um to some extent it, this is about that uh in terms of the the boy himself look at a few elements um one is how much time is he spending in front of screens because if he's motivated to play for instance video games and it's clear he's clearly motivated 
and he's interacting with others through video games, um, then they're going to have to cut out, you know, cut out video games and cut out most social media and screen time during school nights uh, in order to get his brain to reorient toward what we need him motivated to do, which is homework and schoolwork, uh, because those are essential and, you know, video games are not essential. Um, and we've talked before about the way dopamine works in the brain. And so the brain, the brain is going to splash a certain amount of dopamine from everything it does during the day. Dopamine is the reward chemical. If it's getting those splashes from, from screens, from video games, from YouTube, from social media, if it's getting them from that, you know, it's, it's simply not going to get it from these other things. And that's why we got to cut it out. We're actually protecting his brain by cutting that stuff out. By 1516, it's possible that this number two category, you know, of, of what's going on in his own brain, that some of that's going to get solved by them cutting this stuff out um, on school nights. And, of course, he's going to rebel. Um, but but their parents, they have to do that if they think um, he's in that situation. And then the third thing I would say is just make sure he doesn't have any kind of disability, learning disability, learning difficulty, dyslexia, you know, sensory integration, anything that's going to impede and that's just going to make him feel so inadequate in terms of doing his schoolwork, in terms of reading. Um, just check for that, ADD, ADHD, check for those things. So I, I would look, my first things that come to my head are those three categories. Boy, when you were talking about uh, checking out at that age, it, right away it reminded me of when I was a senior in high school, so I would have been just a little older than this young man. And uh, I knew uh, I wanted to be a pastor since I was in second grade, so I knew school was important. But man, my senior year, for whatever reason, was the year that I kind of checked out. And um, it was just hard to get me motivated uh, to do homework. And then it clicked back in again once I got into college. But there does seem to be something for guys right around those years where... Uh, the brain maybe is taken in too much, or uh, we, we just feel like there are other things more pressing, girls, for example, or sports. Yeah. And, and uh, some of those things about, you know, relating to the, to the material. Um, in, in, in my situation, uh, we had a teacher who um, we were taking a Civil War class, which you would think would be a good guy class. And all of us guys, for whatever reason, checked out. And at the end of the year, the teacher sat all the guys down, and he said, "This is the first time the boys have done worse than the girls in this class." Hmm. And I'm, and he was really upset with us. Of course, we didn't care. And but that was kind of what we were all going through. And I think a lot of boys do. And I'm wondering if some of that has to do with um, sitting in school all day long and not getting enough movement mm-hmm. when they're getting home. What what? What things can they do to help their son get his brain activated again in terms of movement? Yeah, uh, it's a really good point. Let's say, and this fits in the category of sort of how to teach boys. Let's say that that the school ha- hasn't been trained in this, so he is he is bored. He's sitting in classes constantly, and uh, so um, absolutely he's going to need some kind of program when he gets home for movement. What we would prefer is movement in every one of his classes during the day. That'd be great. Um, but even if that occurs, he still needs some movement at home. So, so exercise, uh, whatever works for him, riding his bike, taking a run, um, trampoline, you know, whatever is for him, or maybe he's doing some sports, in which case that will take up an hour or two. Uh, then he comes home, eats dinner, then he does his homework. 
But, you know, anywhere in there, making sure he's getting a lot of movement and exercising uh, is just great for the brain. And and if he if he if you find that this particular boy and this is going to be individualized, you know, some guys can sit still for a long period of time and study others really 10 to 15 minutes. And then they need to get up and have a brain break, get up and move around, get up and pace. Um, So look at the individual kid and create a program for physical movement that that fits his brain and his needs. You can hardly go wrong with movement, you know, anywhere around the 15 minute mark, um, uh, sitting for 15 minutes and then moving some, then sitting again. You can hardly go wrong with that. So that could be something to shoot for. Great. So that's a, that's a really important strategy. I think you just said there is it don't necessarily say, all right, take an hour and then we'll give you a break. You're saying take a break every 10 to 15 minutes move a little bit, and then get back at it. Yeah, brain break, like uh, pace around, take a little walk, mm-hmm. um, or just jumping jacks or, um, you know, any, anything that really it could be 60 seconds. If it's every 15 minutes, it really could be a 60-second break. Um, and and it, that can fit in anywhere. He could He could get up to, depending on how he gets distracted or not distracted, he could study for, let's say, 15, 20 minutes and then get up and help mom or dad with dinner, you know, um, uh, he could do some chores as a brain break. Uh, if he's highly distractible, that's a bad idea. But if he's not highly distractible, um, that can be great. So yeah, anything that involves movement, 60 seconds to two minutes. Are you an advocate for carrot and stick? Uh, you know, if you do this, the reward will be. Yeah, absolutely. I am absolutely uh, in moderation. So, so specifically with video games and anything having to do with screens and social media, I think they're they're entertainments. They're not essential, so they're wonderful leverage. And so, yeah, if it, it, let's say that this this family discovers that this is a guy at fifteen, at sixteen, who is spending two three hours a night at home on on this media. So now they they're gonna say, oh. Okay, he's getting his dopamine rushes there. We've got to stop that. He's got to not do any of that till he's done his homework. And and um, so as they're as they're instituting that, like let's say they go go cold turkey, and they say, okay, for a week, you know, or two weeks, you have to do your homework. I have to see these grades come up, etc. Uh, at the end of two weeks, you you're you know it's it's okay. You're going to get your YouTube back. You're going to get video games back. Although I kind of don't like video games on school nights at all, but um, you know you're going to get your smartphone back, uh, and you'll be able to use it. So they should absolutely be leveraged. Now I you hinted at this a little bit, but the boy brain uh, is is one factor for a boy. But there are also, uh, for lack of a better word, personality differences. You do have. Mm-hmm. Uh, the boys who are really organized, and uh, in this case, maybe he's an organized kid but doesn't know how to organize, and he could be taught some skills. Then there are other kids who they just they don't work within those confinements. So speak a little bit to the child who really has a hard time living in routine and, and how you help them deal with some homework stuff. Yeah, ritualizing it's essential for this kid um, because – he he at 15 and and girls can be like this too but it's really more boys because girls naturally uh close these pathways you know build these pathways between the the midbrain and the the frontal whereas boys are much later to do that and organization is happening in executive functioning it's happening 
at the top of the brain. And so, so boys are behind in that. And they often need a, an organizer who helps them ritualize. Uh, I mean, I, I have had, I had clients, I think I wrote about these folks in A Fine Young Man, this, where I just said, even though he's in college, just call him every night at 6 p.m. And so dad called him every night at 6 p.m., you know. You know, he was in college. He got into college. He was a smart guy. But he still couldn't organize at 19, at 20. And so, you know, they had a ritual. So uh, it's just really important with those guys to to not say, uh, I mean, there's an inclination for parents to say, well, he's 16. I want him to be independent. Let, let him solve this organizational problem himself. Um, and and that could be tough love. It, it could be that's important for this kid. But we first probably want to try where for a period of six months or a year, uh, we are helping him organize his folders. And and then he does it. You know, we, we lead him to water. He has to drink. But we show it to him. And then we check it. And uh, and especially if the teachers are saying, you know, he could be getting A's, but he's getting C's because he's so disorganized, especially if he's getting that feedback, then we do have to be more involved than we think. And and this may sound contradictory because I really don't like helicopter parenting. But when it comes to frontal lobe and it comes to, you know, deficiencies or defects in frontal lobe development um, for these guys at between 15 and 16, I do think we have to get involved. So, so you know, we we kind of walk the razor's edge there, still letting them be independent, you know, all of that, but responding to the fact that without rituals and without us instituting for him these rituals and with him, he's going to get a C, but he could get an A, you know, so that's got to be why we do it. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. I think for me, when it clicked was getting into college when when of course at that point the stakes are really high mm-hmm. uh, and um, I knew if I don't figure this out this studying thing out um, it could be a challenge for me and and so I just I learned some ways plus the schools in college they were a little bit more proactive in teaching you how to study I'm not so sure I learned how to study when I was in high school uh, and probably wish I had um, but at the same time you know in high school you, you're still thinking to yourself uh, it's it's just high school, um, and uh, to, to help our boys, help our girls recognize that the decisions they make about their schooling really is going to impact the schools that they will get into later on or the Votech schools or whatever, and, uh, and teaching our, our kids early on good skills for studying, which lead to other good skills and other habits in other parts of their lives. Yeah, that's what we're doing by being a little helicoptery here with that 
that in, intrinsically disorganized guy. We are teaching him what you're talking about. We're gonna we're gonna ritualize stuff for him, and he's gonna take those rituals through to his future. So we are doing our job as parents with this guy, and and, and you know I'm gonna tell a couple interesting stories. My so I have daughters, both of whom were highly organized, you know, and they would they would have boyfriends in high school, and the boyfriends were highly disorganized. And um, my daughters would, you know, they knew all this brain stuff, right? Because they were brought up with it. And, and I would meet the guys, great guys, but really disorganized. And they would, they would say things like, Oh, I'm so glad I have Gabrielle to help me. Oh, I'm so glad I have Davida to help me. Because, but because my daughters were helping them organize their folders, you know, and kind of ritualizing as girlfriend ritualizing for them and making sure they studied you know and so then they were sort of motivated to study because the reward was they got the respect of their girlfriend right they got the affection and admiration of their girlfriend Uh, but that's you know that's subtle but um we have to think about that with with these guys and especially in high school where they're taking a lot of them are taking classes that have no relevance to them have no novelty to them, have no meaning to them. And, and that's something our school systems, our educa- education system have to deal with, that a lot of guys uh, by 15 or 16 are simply uh, bored with what is being taught them, and they are smartly thinking, you know, a lot of this stuff is just, it has no meaning to me. I'm not going to use any of this. So we, again, have to walk the razor's edge because we want to support teachers in teaching what they teach, but we we have to... We have to think about the fact that guys will be motivated if the classes mean something to them, and if they if they can get admiration for for performing well, um, you know they're motivated. So I kind of that's a couple different stories to right. say. I think we have to we have to look also at what we are getting them to learn, and um, and look at outside assets. Uh, you know, like girlfriends or like parents, outside assets to help them organize uh, so that they sort of earn our respect. Uh, without some of those things in place, I think we are going to lose a lot of these 15, 16-year-olds. You're listening to the Wonder of Parenting podcast. I'm Tim Wright, along with Dr. Michael Gurian, and we really are glad uh, that you're listening along with us. We want to say a special thanks to our good friends at A Place of Hope, the center up in the Seattle area. They have been our sponsors for the last several months. And we deeply appreciate that. I know you do, too, because it keeps us on the podcast airwaves. And uh, they, you can find a link to their good work that they do, Dr. Greg Jantz up there and, and all the good stuff that they do, supporting people, particularly in the emotional crises of life. And uh, it, their uh, link is on our website, wonderofparenting.com, wonderofparenting.com. It's also the place where you can uh, send us some questions. And uh, we do want to encourage you to go over to our Facebook page, too, Wonder of Parenting, uh, on Facebook, and uh, just say you'd like to get in the group. And we have some really nice discussions going on there. Uh, and uh, one of the things that's been fun for me is I'm just kind of pulling myself out of those discussions now and letting you parents get at it. And it's just been fun to watch uh, friendships being made online and, and talking about important issues. Uh, Michael, the second question we want to deal with today, another school issue, and we've talked about this one before, but this is a good question. This is one of those ones where, uh, unfortunately, we didn't get to it 
early enough in September, but hopefully it will still be helpful. Uh, This comes from one of our listeners. She says, I have a son. He's six years old, a daughter. She's three and one more on the way. Congratulations. I have a master's degree in neuroscience, so I'm doubly interested in your podcast. I have a specific question I would like to ask. My son is going into first grade in September, and he will be starting French immersion. I see many benefits of French, French immersion, but I also have heard that it seems to be more tailored to quiet, studious types. My son does fit this role for the most part, and particularly girls. My son is not, ram, uh, not a rambunctious boy. He's very good at communicating, but I still want to do my best to make sure his needs are being met in French immersion. So how can I help my son thrive in this setting? Thank you very much. And this listener, by the way, comes from Canada. So uh, Jennifer, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Michael, I don't know how proficient you are in French, but I'm guessing you probably have some things that you can say to us about uh, language immersion. Yeah, uh, we get this question on and off. I've gotten this when I go out and speak about, about, um, you know, at what age to be learning a second language, does it invade the learning process uh i mean basically i I think french immersion is is great Uh, what i'm going to end up saying is that this has to be um this kid you know it has to be about this individual child and whether being hit with a second language at that time that's not native speaking that's not one of the parents um whether it's right for that brain at that time and i think a lot of the time it's going to be great for that brain uh but if like she she has some thoughts about this regarding her son. This is individualized now to her son. If she looks at her son and she goes and she looks at those classes, and I would I would definitely suggest that parents go look at those classes. And if she sees, okay, everyone in the class is of a certain personality, um, like I don't know enough about that to know if it's just for studious kids. I, I had not have not heard that before, but I'm gonna say I don't know. Um but but the solution is the strategy is go, go there, go to the class watch the class, observe the class, see the kinds of kids in that class, um, talk to the teacher, talk to the other parents, um, three or four of the other parents, and see if it's right for this child. Um, Now in Canada, obviously there are certain parts of Canada where they are learning both languages at once, and it's working very well, you know? So so I think it's gonna depend, uh, external to that, um, external to two things, that it's mandated, they're going to le- learn both languages, and external to native speakers, one English speaker, one French speaker, mom, dad. External to that, I think it's individualized to the kid. But if either of those factors are in play, then you know it's going gonna, it's gonna to work or need to work for every kid. And, and in fact, I, I'm a great believer if one of the parents speaks another language, no matter what the language is, if that's a native speaker, raise your child with both English and that language because um, uh, that's just so good for the child in the future to have that second language mm-hmm. as a native speaker. That That's a little off the French immersion topic, but I, I do hear parents will say, well, I specifically only wanted my child to learn English so that my child would do better in school in America. And I'll say, now, wait a minute, that that's not good brain science. If you guys are both native speakers of two languages one English, one French, I'm going to say in this case, then actually best for that brain is to teach this kid both from the very beginning. So what is, at least as far as you know, the the brain science, what does that say about the positives and or the negatives of children learning 
a second language that maybe isn't native uh, to their family. So let's we'll take my uh, my grandson Judah for example. So he's he's learning Mandarin and in an English school, and his parents don't speak Mandarin. Um, and and Judah's a different case, which we can chat about in just a moment. But let's let's say all things being equal, is what does the brain science say about learning a second language for kids? Well, learning a second language is is let's see. At a baseline, we're going to say learning a second language is good for the brain. Absolutely, you know, at a baseline. I mean, you go to Europe, everyone is learning a second or third language right, right. as a little kids. So it yeah. is good for the brain. Um, it is a good thing. It, it, the reason I say individualized, though, is that there can be a particular child where this is the wrong move at this time for that brain because that brain is dealing with other things. You know, it's maybe it has a disability or maybe it's having trouble organizing or, you know, and we really need it to focus on that other thing rather than dumping a second language in. Um, so I think the baseline is positive, but on an individual basis, we'd have to look at it. Now, beyond that, interesting things about, for instance, Chinese. So Chinese, Korean, Japanese, these languages that use, you know, that are characterological, diagrammatic, symbolic, um, they they actually can build, learning those can actually build up in, in, in our sort of English-speaking brains, which are mainly doing language on the left for guys. These can actually build up some more centers on the right um, because they're characterological and diagrammatic, right? They're they're characters they're not cursive script they're actual characters so they're symbols and and that's kind of a neat thing um uh but i but i don't think it changes the fact that if if this child if it's not right for this child and if it invades learning and the child is having trouble not doing well feeling inadequate then we would want to take the child out of the second language for a few years then you know revisit it later as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Now, you, you lived in a lot of different places growing up. Did you learn a second language? Yeah, I learned Hindi in India um, because I was in India at you know, four, five, and six, right? During those years, you pick up languages so fast. Yeah. And so my brother and I, we both picked it up and we would go lead our mom to the market. You know, we have tapes. My parents made tapes of this. It's very entertaining. You know, you know how it is when you're an adult and you listen to yourself with your five-year-old voice. It's yes, like yeah. quite entertaining. Uh, but there, we actually have old tapes, uh, real-to-real tapes of, um, of my brother and I uh, helping our parents to speak Hindi with with people around them who didn't speak English. Um, and, and so we picked it up very, very fast. Uh, that's also a, you know, it's sort of cursive, but also characterological. It's a really neat language to learn. Um, and it, I think it's possible that then, okay, so then my wife and I, Gail and I lived in Turkey and I picked up Turkish really fast. This is 86 to 88. So I was in my late twenties and I was teaching there and doing research there. I picked up uh, Turkish quickly and within about six months, I also studied. I mean, I studied, I had a tutor and I was studying book studying and then um, forced to speak Turkish in a lot of situations back then because a lot of people didn't have English. Um, but I picked up Turkish fast. And so I've always wondered, okay, is one of the reasons I picked up Turkish fast because I had to learn Hindi when I was five? Um, maybe, right? I mean, you can find research any, any which way on it. Um, maybe. Uh, I'm certainly glad I learned Hindi. Uh, of course, I have forgotten almost all of it, but mm-hmm. I'm certainly right. glad I did, and I'm glad I learned I learned Turkish. So I, I'm positive about it. I'm really positive about it. Um, but I but I am f- battling a little against the trend, which says you you should have your child in a second yeah. language. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, if, if yes. It's not right for the child. It's not right for right. the child. Yeah. I I uh, I didn't start learning a language uh, until high school. I took German, and uh, I always sort of jokingly say, but it's absolutely true, I took first-year German three or four times um, because part of the challenge of most languages in the United States of America is we don't speak them. Right. Uh, And so I would learn German, and uh, then I would never use it in the summer, for example, and lose it, and then have to take it over again, and then went to college and had to have a language, so I just took first-year German again, and actually got through second-year German, then have actually been to Germany a a bunch of times, and I I can't speak, I can say Guten Tag and Auf Wiedersehen is about it, (laughs) and maybe Brot for bread, Uh, but where, like Europe... They, they, depending on the country, they can interact with these different languages almost on a daily basis, and it keeps fresh for them. But I will say the one thing that German did for me is it taught me English. Mm-hmm. And I, I learned the, I was forced to learn the rules of English by understanding the rules of German. And I've heard a number of educators say the same thing, that we get... Um, we can almost become inoculated to how English works. Uh, and of course, who really knows how the English language works? But um, there are certain rules of grammar that we sometimes learn better when we learn a different language. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I say for the brain, the, the baseline of learning another language is is a positive. It, it really is. Just individualize it. And, and when did you start seeing this trend of... Um, kids taking a second language has that been around for a while because that's when my they were daughter young. yeah when they but, were very young yeah 
Yeah, I think that's cropped up the last 10, 15 years. And it's, um, I mean, again, I think it's probably a good a good trend because it's it's Americans saying, why not hit their kids with a, with a second language when they're young? And uh, like like they do in Europe, you know, why yeah. not? Yeah. And so, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's a good trend. Um, uh, it's just that it's just that we're all we have com- we have some competing issues in the U.S. We have I don't, we don't know really how many, but somewhere between 10 and 20 percent of our kids are battling some sort of ADD, ADHD, yep. uh, learning disability, sensory integration. You know, we have a lot in the U.S. We've talked about the neurotoxins, what's happening to these young brains. So so um, so we have to juggle this. It, it's a good thing to teach a second language, but we got to juggle it. And it's going to be in that one in five kids who are already battling something else that um, some other disability that we're going to have to be vigilant. But for the four out of five um, who are not battling any kind of learning disability um, or difference, uh, you know, I, I think it's a great idea if it's doable. Uh, years ago, we were um, on a trip. We went to, uh, it was it was just one of these remarkable trips. We were in Finland, then we went to Russia, and then we went to uh, Norway, and then we went to France. And uh, France was one of our last stops, and we were there with a, a friend of ours. And and uh, you know, he whenever we spoke, he had to speak English. And he finally said, "Why don't you learn French?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, here's the problem." I said, "We were just in Norway, and we were in Finland, and we were in Russia. Which language should we learn?" Uh, I said, "You know, fortunately or unfortunately, English is sort of the universal language." And, you know, so as Americans, you know, we're somewhat fortunate in that increasingly the world's learning to speak English. But it really is a challenge to try to figure out what language you're going to learn. But I will say that for me, um, I was really grateful that I did get to learn. And, of course, being a pastor, you have to work with some Greek and Hebrew as well as, as you do if mm. for your Jewish faith, you know, mm-hmm. Hebrew. Um, but and, and then just to kind of wrap up, my, my grandson, we've talked about him before. He's one of those kids. His mom really wanted him to learn a language. And it turned out that he's got some learning challenges, and he was actually uh, doing better in school with Mandarin than he was with English, and um, which you know that's great. But we speak English here, and so they've they've had to sort of back off on the Mandarin and get him caught up in English again. So it what you're saying, the, the point is well taken. It's a it's a good trend, but we need to make sure that it's working for our particular child. Yeah, yeah, that's basically it. Well, we want to thank you, folks, for listening. And uh, we got we got two questions in for you, and we're going to try to tackle two more again next week and see if we can get a little deeper into our queue because we know we got some more questions coming. And uh, so, Michael, anything you want to add to the discussion before we head on out today? No, no, absolutely great, and I think you managed this very well. These are you know these are big topics, big topics, right? And and uh, and these are topics we'll get at again. We have talked about the immersion and language immersion before, and we will again. And I know that homework questions are going to come up as we go along as well. So thanks so much for listening. Go to wonderofparenting.com. And if you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, please do, because all of these episodes are evergreen, which means you have access to them all the time. So if uh, episode 62 is your first one, there are 61 other episodes that you can plow through when you're working out or driving to work uh, or are trying to get to sleep at night. So we appreciate you listening. <laughs> and uh, Michael, we'll be back with you next time. All right. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.